Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. 30 years ago, information moved a whole lot slower, didn't it? Before the internet was a mainstay in, the ho- in everyone's house. I'm assuming everybody here has internet, right? Before the internet was a mainstay in, in everyone's house, there were really only two voices that gave you the information that you needed, right? There was either the voice of a, of a newspaper or the voice of the television anchors. And if you wanted your voice, your personal voice to be heard, you had two options to try to do that. Either write a letter to the editor or call the TV producer. And they were the ones who would deem whether your voice was worthy to grace those public mediums. But now the internet has changed all of that, right? The internet has fundamentally changed that because now there are not just two voices where you're getting your information from. It's not just TV and it's not just TV and a newspaper because when was the last time you even picked up a newspaper? Like yesterday, a couple of days ago, I picked up a newspaper just because it was lying on my front yard, but I haven't read one in forever. The internet has fundamentally changed everything because now absolutely everybody has a voice and by everybody, I mean everybody has a voice. Because absolutely anybody can write a blog, anybody can use Facebook or TikTok or podcasts or, or whatever they want to make their voices heard. People can use these mediums and use their voices to speak their truth. Right? This has given rise to kind of a crazy phenomenon known as fake news. My iPhone has an app on it, I don't have it here, but my iPhone has an app on it that every day it pops up the daily headlines or the, the biggest headlines in the news. And it takes only a cursory look at this app to see that there are five different accounts of the same story told in a different way with different angles, and each one is claiming to be true. And each one is, by claiming theirs to be true, are saying that the others are inherently liars and fake news. There are so many voices speaking. How do you know which one is actually speaking the truth? How do you know which voice you should be listening to? And I pray that you understand everybody having a voice and everybody having access to these mediums that give them a voice, that it affects more than just the way that you and I look at worldly secular news. It affects Christianity in a really big way, and it can and it does affect your faith. Right now, there are are thousands upon thousands of Christian podcasts on iTunes right now. And I think that's a really good thing for the most part. Like we podcast our sermons every week. I think it's amazing because podcasts are are really easily accessible to everyone. You can do other things while you're listening to them. People are using this medium to talk more about Jesus, to spread the good news of the gospel to maybe people who haven't heard it. But there's an inherent danger that I, I, I don't think we often realize with this. Because if there are thousands upon thousands of podcasts, that means there are thousands upon thousands of voices who are speaking truth. But it's not just God's truth, right? It's their truth. And how do you know which one to listen to? For years, uh, postmodernism has robbed Americans of the notion of objective, absolute truth. Uh, truth for you today is whatever you make it, and it's very dependent on your culture and on your context. And if there's no such thing as objective, absolute truth, then that means there are thousands upon thousands of voices who are laying claim to truth. And do you realize what that does to your faith? Or have some understanding of what that can do to your faith? It can lead you to a panic of doubt, Right? Because if everybody is claiming truth and you're not quite sure which voice you should be listening to, that can lead you to wonder if the thing that you're believing in, the thing you've been convinced of, some of you for maybe your whole life, isn't the right thing. 
It can lead you to despair over the fact that maybe your certain hope or the hope that you were certain is true maybe isn't so certain after all, that maybe Jesus didn't pay for all of my sins, that maybe grace really isn't arrow pointing down, that it's not fully and freely given to you, but there's something that you have to do to earn it. Maybe our focus shouldn't be so much on heaven and the life to come, but we should be focusing on the here and now and making life the best that it possibly can be. There are so many voices that are speaking truth. How do you know which one is truth? And how do you know which voice you should be listening to? This is the very thing that Peter attacks in and combats in 2 Peter chapter 2, or chapter 1, excuse me. Now, now 2 Peter is a little bit different than some of the other letters that you find in the New Testament. Most of the other letters in the New Testament are written to a specific congregation in a specific city. Right? Think of Ephesus, that's written to the congregation of believers, or the letter to the Ephesians is written to the congregation in Ephesus. Sorry, my mind was not working there for a second. Uh, First and second Corinthians was written to the believers who are in Corinth, but Peter's, Peter's letter is different in nature. It's more general in nature. It's written to a bunch of recent converts to Christianity, meaning that these men and women and children were young in the faith, and they're all living in the northeastern part of the Roman Empire in places like like Pontus and Cappadocia and Galatia and, uh, and Asia Minor. And during this time when Peter is writing his first and second letters, the only two letters that Peter writes, there's a, a wicked man in control of Rome, a man by the name of Emperor Nero. Do you know what Nero is famous for, besides being crazy? For putting forth the first empire-wide persecution of Christians. There's a fire that happened in Rome in 64 AD, and, and Nero blamed the, the way in which this fire ravaged Rome, he blamed it on the Christians. And this led to many, many Christians uh, who were new to the faith being persecuted for the things that they believed. And this is what Peter spends his whole first letter addressing. First Peter is written to encourage Christians who are facing physical persecution, sometimes even death. And he tells them that, that these persecutions that you're facing, they pale in comparison to the glory that is waiting for you when Jesus comes back. Right, so bear up under these, stand firm against all of these assaults, physical, emotional, even death, because glory is waiting for you. But now about a year or two later, Peter, is, these Christians in the northeastern part of Rome are dealing with a different kind of persecution. The physical person, persecution didn't stop, but there was another sort that had popped up. It was the persecution of false teachers. And so Peter spends a large chunk of his, of his second letter talking about these many voices and combating these many voices who showed up claiming to speak truth. What these, what these uh, false teachers, the voices of these false teachers and their teachings, what they had done is they had infiltrated the, the, the Christian circles in the northeastern part of Rome at this time, and they were saying that, that all of these things that the apostles had passed down to them, well, they're just cleverly invented myths. None of them are true. And the one that they, they spent the most amount of time attacking and coming down harshly on was this. That on the last day, Jesus will come in all glory and power and majesty to judge the living and the dead, to bring about the final resurrection from the dead. This is what they were calling a cleverly invented myth. And they were attacking this for a singular purpose. Because they knew if they attacked this, then it can, it can fundamentally derail a Christian's faith. It's sort of like when you have a run in your sweater and you start pulling on that run. You pull on it long enough and you don't have a sweater left anymore. This is why they were attacking this truth. and Because if Jesus... If he isn't going to come back on the last day in glory and power and majesty to judge the living and the dead, what is the implications of that? Or what are the implications of that? Well, number one, it means that Jesus isn't who he says he is. And if Jesus isn't who he says he is, that he isn't the son of God, that he isn't the savior of the world, then his death on the cross and the life that he lived on, in, on, 
The life he lived for you and the, his death on the cross means no more than any other man who has ever lived in this world. And if Jesus' death means nothing, then you are still in your sins. And if you are still in your sins, that means there is absolutely no hope for a life to come. And if there's no hope for a life to come, then why are you looking forward to the day when all of, your, when all of the, the broken things in your life, all of the, the hardships and the persecutions, they're never going to be fixed. And if there's no hope for a life to come, well, then all you should be doing is focusing and living in the here and now. That you should be living the way that you want to and speaking your own truth. These are the voices that, that first century Christians were, were having to listen to that as they tried to derail their faith because what these false prophets wanted was to do nothing more was than to gut Christianity of all of its hope. They wanted to gut Christianity of all of its meaning and purpose and in so doing, make it like every other religion in the world. And if, it, if Christianity is like every other religion in the world, well then... It's certainly not worth living for, and it's definitely not worth facing persecution and death for. These false prophets, they knew this. They knew they could probably get some people to walk away. And the way in which they did this, aside from attacking the, the, the truth that Jesus will come again in glory and power and majesty and calling that a myth, is that Peter says they would entice them with the, the, lusts of, of, with the, the deceitful lusts of human sinful nature. Right? They would come and they would say, since Jesus isn't coming back, well, then do whatever you want. You understand that that means freedom for you. It means that you can live and you can do whatever you want, give into the, the pleasures that you want to give into because you're freed from all of the demands of God's law that are actually just a myth. These are the voices that these first century Christians were having to listen to. And when you, when you hear these voices, I, you can't help but, but understand that these are the same voices that you and I hear ringing in our ears in the world today, aren't they? Because there are voices who are constantly trying to convince you of the fact that, or constantly trying to convince you that, that everything in God's word, not just some of it, but all of it, is a myth. And it can't apply to you in the 21st century. They're trying to convince you, there are voices trying to convince you that, that you need to go and, and worship at the altar of self-indulgence. That you, can, that you can do absolutely anything that you want and it doesn't matter because you're not restricted by a God. There are voices telling you to worship at the altar of self Right, that you are what is most important, that me, myself, and I, at the expense of everyone else, is what is most important, and living the best life that you possibly can because there is no hope for a future. All of these things, all of these voices that we hear speak, that the first century Christians in the northeastern part of Rome heard speak, they were all speaking to try to derail you from your faith, to get you to doubt the faith that you cling to, and eventually to lose it. And that's all because these are voices that Satan is, are, is using as his tools. Right? You can call Satan clever, but you can't call him creative. Because he has recycled the same lie and the same tactic over and over and over again across the centuries. And it all stems back to that very first lie that he told Adam and Eve. Does God really say? In other words, what the voice of God says is a myth. All of these things that the, the voices of these false teachers are giving you, they're dangerous not only because they can cause you to lose your faith, but but also because they're so appealing, aren't they? It'd be great to live without restrictions, or so we think. It'd be great to have absolute freedom, not be answerable to anybody but myself, to solely focus on, on me, myself, and I at the expense of others. But when you start listening to the wrong voices, you can end up in a world of hurt. Your faith can end up in a world of hurt. And this is why Peter spends such a large chunk of time in his second letter encouraging you and me to listen to the right voice. To listen to the voice that you know. To listen to the voice of God. Look at what he says. 
He says, we did not follow cleverly invented myths when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. The thing that Peter is talking about here is, is what we read in our gospel for this morning. It's the transfiguration that six months before Jesus rode into Jerusalem and ultimately rode to his death, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, this inner circle of his closest disciples up the mountain. And there when they were on the mountain, his, his appearance changed, his face shone like the sun and his, his clothes gleamed like the light. And then all of a sudden, a cloud envelops the mountain, reminiscent of that very cloud that surrounded Mount Sinai when Moses walked up or when Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments. We heard about that in our first lesson. This cloud surrounds this holy mountain. And Peter calls it the majestic glory. And from this majestic glory, God the Father's voice boomed from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. Listen to him. God was speaking directly to these disciples, Peter, James, and John. And this was such a profound thing for Peter, James, and John. Because that voice of God that they heard from the mountain, it convinced them that everything that Jesus said about himself during his entire ministry was true. It assured them that he was the sinless, perfect, holy son of the most high God. It assured him that the very one standing before them was going to be the one who would sacrifice himself on, not only on their behalf, but on behalf of the whole world. That this one standing before them was going to be the one to pour out his blood to cover over every one of your sins. That six months later, he was going to be the one to ride into Jerusalem to die the death that they deserve to make them at one with God. This is the voice that Peter heard spoken from the mountain, the very voice of God. But that wasn't the only profound thing that day that Peter, James, and John experienced, right? Because they didn't just hear something, they saw something. They were eyewitnesses to something. Because on that mountain, God pulled back the veil. He pulled back, back the veil and allowed them to see a glimpse, not only of who Jesus really was, but to see a glimpse of their future. The future that would happen when Jesus does come back in all glory and power and majesty, the resurrection from the dead. This is an incredibly remarkable thing because when mortality is swallowed up, when death is defeated forever, the only thing left for you and I, for Peter, James, and John to experience is glory and immortality. And this is what Peter, James, and John saw on the mountain. This had such a profound and fundamental impact on Peter that nearly 30 years later, after he was up on that mountain with Jesus, he is still talking about it and he's still using it as a teaching tool and he's still writing about it. And he says, this is our hope, guys. This is what we believe in. This is what gives us hope that everything that we are, everything that we do has meaning and purpose because of this glory. And it's not some cleverly invented myth. It can't be because we were eyewitnesses to it. And not only did we see the glory, but we heard God the Father speak. And this is why we're encouraging you to listen to the right voice to listen to the voice of God. Now, if the only thing that you and I had was Peter's eyewitness account, the fact that he saw the glory, the fact that he heard God speak, that wouldn't necessarily be enough to convince you that you need to listen to the right voice, would it? And it's like Peter knows that because he offers us more proof, more proof that what he saw wasn't some cleverly invented myth. Look at what he says. He says, we continuously have the completely reliable words of the prophets. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origins in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
What Peter is saying here to first century Christians who are struggling with false teachings, listening to the wrong voices, to you and me who are struggling with this, these ringing in our ears of these false teachers, he's saying that everything we saw, what we saw on that mountain, what we saw Jesus preach and teach, what we saw as miracles, him raising Lazarus from the dead, him healing the sick and making the, making the lame walk, the death and the resurrection, when Jesus showed up and he, he pointed to his hands and his side, all of that, all of that is backed up by what the prophets say, that the words of the prophets are completely, completely and utterly reliable. They all point forward to the promise of what God's son was going to do for you. This is what the prophets did. The voices of the prophets continuously encouraged God's Old Testament people to look forward to the culmination of when God fulfills every promise that he made about a savior who is going to buy you back from the debt of your sin. And this is all fulfilled in Jesus Christ, the righteous one of God, whom we saw on the mountain, right? None of these prophecies, all of these prophecies are completely reliable because not a single prophecy came about because some man decided one day, well, I think I'm going to use my voice to tell a story. And then he stood up and he said, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No, that's, that's ridiculous, right? That's absolutely silly because no prophecy ever came about by man's will. No prophecy also ever came about because some prophet sat down and said, I'm going to use my voice to, to explain all of this stuff that is so weighty and heady and heavy about God. I'm going, to, I'm going to explain things about God for God on behalf of God's people. No, no prophecy ever came about by, by a prophet's own interpretation. But men spoke, as they were, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In the, in the formulation and the, the writing down of Scripture, both men and God were active. Like, make no mistake about it, Peter says that. God is the source and the author of the content, which means that what Scripture says, God says. But human beings weren't sitting by like some sort of recorder or, or, or typewriting robot just writing down everything God said. No, God inspired these men and they wrote down in their own style, in their own way, and using their own unique phraseology. But what they said is what God said in because men spoke as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This means that the word of God is completely reliable. It's completely reliable, especially compared to all of those cleverly devised myths that these false teachers are using their voices to try to, to, try to derail you from your faith. The word of God is the very voice of God. It's the very voice of God speaking to you. And in fact, it is the only place, it's the only place where God actually promises that he speaks to you. And so Peter says to hold on to it. Hold on to the word of God. Hold on to it because this is God speaking to you. This is the voice that you need to be listening to. This is the right voice for you to be listening to. This is why he says this is so important. He says you will do well to pay attention to it. As a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns, and the morning star rises in your heart. Peter calls the word of God a, a light that shines in a dark place. It's a light that shines through, through the darkness of this world. It's a light that shines through the blackness of the sin in your heart, showing you for what it really is. It's a light that, that illuminates the, the, the voices of these false prophets and all of their teaching and shows them for what they really are, these baseless and empty lies. This is why Peter says this is so important because the word of God is a light that guides you in your life and on your path as you walk to heaven. So he says, keep holding on to it. Because look, all of you know, 
All of you know how dark this world is, don't you? Because you experience it on a daily basis. All of you know that in this world, there are voices calling out from the darkness that are trying to convince you that everything that God says in his word is a myth, that Jesus didn't really actually die for your sins, that nothing in the God's word applies to you at all so you can live however you want. These are voices that we are constantly hearing, and it's not just voices that come from outside of the world that are speaking to you. There's voices that come within the blackness of your heart that try to convince you that it's not worth it. That your sinful nature should be able to live and do and think and breathe and act however it wants. Peter knows how dark this world is and that you need a light to guide your path. Because what happens when you let go of the light and you you let go of the word and, and God stops speaking to you through his word? Well, you end up listening to the wrong voices, don't you? And these voices of the false prophets, they start to become more and more plausible and the darkness begins to look like light. Peter says, keep holding on to it. Keep holding on to it because I know firsthand what happens when you let go of the light. When you stop listening to the right voice. Because six months after Peter came down that mountain, Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he was carried off and put on trial. And Peter was, Peter was enveloped by the darkness of fear and doubt. And there in that courtyard, Peter started listening to those voices of fear and doubt speak and he eventually denied Jesus, his Savior, and his friend three times. And Peter doesn't want that to happen to anybody. Peter doesn't want anybody to be enveloped by the darkness. He doesn't want anybody to stop listening to the right voice and start listening to the wrong voices. So he says, keep holding on to it. Keep holding on to the word of God. It is a light that shines It is a light that shines in a dark place. Keep holding on to it until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart, the very day when God makes good on his promise that he will come again in all glory and power and majesty to judge the living and the dead, the day when God the Son eradicates the darkness of sin and death and the devil forever and locks them in the abyss of hell. It is on that day with the light of God's sun shining and all darkness eradicated that the only things that you and I will see our glory and light. It is on that day that you will stand face to face with the one that Peter, James, and John saw on the mountain. But with his veil fully pulled back in all of his glory and majesty, it is on that day that you will hear the right voice, the only voice of God the Father. This is the voice you already know. It's the voice that your faith clings to. So Peter encourages you to keep listening to it because it is the voice that drowns out the white noise of all other voices that are trying to speak and convince you of the truth. The voice of God the Father is the one that actually gives you truth. Keep listening to this voice because it is in this voice that you are given the the truth of the, the sure and certain hope that when that last day comes, the voice of God will speak over each and every one of you. Welcome to heaven. God grant it. Amen.